This episode of Ghost Stories is brought to you by Satrix, the leading provider of index tracking solutions in South Africa and a proud partner of Ghostmail. With no minimums and easy, low-cost access to local and global products via the Satrix Now online investment platform, everyone can own the market. Visit satrix.co.za for more information. Welcome to the final Ghost Stories episode of 2023. It's hard to believe this year is done already. It's one of those things where it always seems to go fast. And uh, Sia, it's so nice to have you on as the, the final voice, I suppose, on Ghost Stories for the year. I mean, we've done a few podcasts together now, always very insightful. I think everyone in the team at Satrix is great. It's really been a great year of creating content with you guys. And it's lovely to have you here. So thank you for doing this with me so deep into December. Is there actually anyone else at the office there or is it just you switching on the coffee machine in the morning and doing the alarm at night? No, no, no. Thanks, girls, for having me. Um, I actually just finished off a meeting. I actually had to run off from a meeting to actually join you now. <laughs> so it's still busy. But yeah, it's incredible that, uh, I mean, our first recording was back in Jan. I think it was we were talking about China. Uh, and here, China, yeah, yeah. And here we are again after a couple of recordings and, and great chats. So closing the year. It's been a, it's been a pleasure, man talking to you and your listeners hope this will be an informative one again but much more relaxed because i know it's december and people just want to spend their hard-earned money <laughs> yes well let's start there i mean i think we all you know it gets that time of the year you've worked hard you're tired you want to reward yourself and we all fall into i don't i'm loath to call it a trap i don't like to guilt people about spending their money i mean you must work because you want to have fun but i think it's easy to overspend let me say that you know which in my world means going on to auto trader you know, searching cars I shouldn't own price low to high and then convincing myself that the high mileage one won't hurt me. You know, it's a it's a very it's a very depressing process. <laughs> it always ends in me concluding that I shouldn't buy a car, which is good, but I have to go through this, you know, self-hurting process for like two hours. It's very strange. But we all have our <laughs> we all have our vices, obviously. And I think that's the point, right? And and in the month of December, you know, it, it, it is very difficult because consumerism is just all around us. You go into a shopping mall, you get absolutely bombarded. You're going to Bryce, you're hosting family events, someone in your family's hosting Christmas. It's gifts, it's you know, whether or not you're gonna do the secret Santa and you each buy one or you buy for the whole family or whatever the case may be, it's a very, very expensive month. People often get paid early sometimes 10 days early and then you know the joke goes that salary has to last you till the 500th of january you know and there's a lot of truth in that joke so i think let's kick this off with just you know in december and in this environment why is it so important that south africans still just keep those investment goals in mind you know don't forget about all those savings goals that you've been so diligently following for the other 11 months of the year yeah so definitely that uh, it is the time to spend I, i'm one of those people as well who are just sitting and just watching as my as my balance is going down every day <laughs> so but it, it's got to be done with some careful planning in order to survive i think it's so to survive december it's, it's very important that people differentiate between savings and investments so i think that's the first part as soon as you get that right to 50 to 60 percent there uh, i mean with your savings that you actually plan to use in december and then you can start doing things like budgeting making sure that you don't overspend as you mentioned um, and very important do not forget about january uh, i think that's the biggest mistake that we make especially what you mentioned now that you, you get paid early in december and then you just spending your money like you only have 10 days to the next payday so it's very important to just budget and try to stretch that um, through those two months so now you must always remember that next year you want to to review your investments uh, based on 12 months so 
a year is not 11 months so why, why would you want to to treat december any different so i think if there's if there's a monthly debit order for your tax-free savings or direct investments on your on platforms like the Cetrix now then i think uh, people need to make sure that there is enough money to cover that debit order don't forget about it um splitting your savings from your investments um, also means that your, your top priority this December is not to make withdrawal from your investments. So that's that's very important is that sometimes people will, will save and then they overspend and then they start knocking on their investments, which can be um, a terrible idea. Um, and, and some of these things, because investments are for the long or for the long term, you only realize that when when you need your money in over, or, uh, yeah after a long time now that you've started your investments and it's it's much more less than you would have liked. Um, so I think the best idea is to just not touch your investments unless there's like a, a proper, proper in, emergency. And I think very important as well is that point of not touching your investment is, is the scams as well popping up in December. Don't forget about that. The guys who will double your money in five days, um, people are in full force. They're hustling. Um, don't, don't, don't be on the other side of that uh, that coin um so be very very careful stick to what you know literally usually a coin (laughs) (laughs) better or otherwise (laughs) exactly exactly i mean you know once someone is trying to sell you an idea in terms of investments uh, or they're trying to scam you if there's a lot of complications in what they are explaining to you and you don't understand that the only thing that you understand is the fact that you're going to get your money in five days and it's going to be double there's a big problem. That's where you stop and you just walk away. So I think that's also very, very important in just keeping up with your investments up until December as well. Yeah, some very sound uh, thinking there and some sound advice. The only thing I'll add to that and then we'll move on to the more investment side of this podcast because it's not going to be 40 minutes of, of personal finance. But I do also think you can borrow a little bit of your January entertainment budget into December if you are disciplined. You know, there's not a hell of a lot of point in saying, okay, well, I'm not going to go out with my friends on the 23rd because I'm going to have money to go out with exactly nobody on the 10th of January, you know, clever me. So I think you've got to just recognize that you're going to over, you are probably going to overspend in December, but you're going to have to claw it back in January. So just, just realize you're borrowing from there. You know, if you're going to spend 50% more than your entertainment budget in December, you're going to spend half of what you would normally spend basically in January. And that's okay. As long as you come out in the wash over the two months and you've had a good time, I think, I think that's a bit, you know, treat it as two months. Maybe that's a better way for people to do it, actually, is to understand December and January are joined. You know, it's not it's not one thing and then another. If you treat those as one very long month and you split your spending into two halves, you might actually come out better off. Yeah. No, totally agree. I agree with that point. So I think let's move on to ETFs, which is clearly a topic close to your heart and Satrix's heart. And you've actually already mentioned tax-free savings accounts. And I actually want to reference something there. So I have this slightly unorthodox, or not unorthodox, but I just take advantage of what ETFs can do in a tax-free savings account. You know, the joy of a tax-free savings account is you build up this nice pool of capital over your lifetime, and then you can use it. It's like having your own little fund that doesn't have tax leakage every time you change a position, because that's the big advantage that fund managers have over retail investors. In your own portfolio, if you sell a position, you're incurring tax right there. Whereas when a fund does it, they can rebalance, they can do all kinds of things, but there's no tax leakage inside the fund. So a tax-free savings account is like building up your own little fund. That's a lovely thing, except you need to buy ETFs. But that's not a bad thing because there are so many different ones and you can do all kinds of 
really interesting things. So the question I wanted to ask you is, do you think enough investors understand the way they can use ETFs in a tax-free savings account, that they can actually treat it as their own little fund management situation, really, and go from there? Yeah, no, it's a it's a very important question. I mean, the whole point of this this podcast is actually to educate people as much as we can. So I think when we talk about tax-free savings account, I, I always just pause and try and, and explain them a bit more. And I think you've touched on, a, on, on, on very good points there in terms of what tax-free savings. I mean, in as much as there's only a maximum amount that is allocated, which is 36000 currently, where you can't go over that amount that you contribute on your tax-free savings accounts. Um, these are quite helpful in so many ways, and I think a lot of people need to pay more attention to them. So I think just a bit of history back in Canada in order for, for them to actually push people to invest more um, and grow their investment in a very, very young age. I think 2009, that's when they launched something similar. Uh, or let me say they started this with the tax-free savings account. Um, also followed in like around 2015. Back then, I think the restriction was 30000 So you create this investment account, and then inside it, you've got the tax-free savings account. And the nice thing about it is that what you've mentioned now is um, you can create your own turnover, you can rebalance, you can grow your investments, you can get income from your ETFs inside this um, this tax-free savings account, and your tax is not touched there. There's, there's no income tax, there's no capital gains tax. So I think it's a it's a big advantage on having that under your portfolio um, as well. So, I mean, everything is tax-free. Saab will not take anything from your amount saved under, under it. There are small technical parts that you people need to understand, though, and I think they sometimes miss is the fact that there is an, a maximum, which I mentioned, 36. So you can't go over 36 on, a, on an annual tax year, so February to February. And sometimes people miss the fact that if you put in the 36, for instance, and then you decide in November, mm, let me withdraw 6,000 because December is here, you can't put back that 6,000 next year before the tax closes because that's going to go over the over, over the limit. So um, that's one of the things. And the other part is the fact that you can have a number of tax-free savings accounts, whether you're coming from different asset managers or a bank. But as long as your total contribution in these different tax-free savings accounts doesn't go over the limit, you are still fine. So those parts are very, very important. I don't know, the taxman will come in and, and take a lot of your, yeah, over your, a lot of your gains. So I think uh, on my side, I, I, I I've seen people not really um, pushing to use utilize these a lot. We've picked up a lot of investors as well on our side in the Cetrix Now platform. Um, I wish I could share the stats, but there are people who are using them. They're quite active using tax-free savings account. And the nice things about this is that even though you're in the platform, you've got a direct investment, there's also a tax-free savings account. And you can also go into like an RA or something and also invest for your kids and all those things. But I think people need to just pay attention to the fact that there is this little pocket where in as much as you go in and out of it, the taxman does not touch that. And it's it's quite a big advantage, especially for um, ETFs that have higher yields. So your income is not really um, taxed. So I, I think people need to pay attention to that and also just make sure that they take advantage of that. Yeah, absolutely. I always think your tax-free savings account is a starting point. You know, if you've got a savings, if you're able to save every month and you've built up that buffer, the next step, tax-free savings account. And, you know, to your point, not because you're going to withdraw it for December. That's exactly why you need savings separately. You're tax-free. It should be tax-free investing accounts. It's actually, unfortunately, quite poorly named. 
And I think that's uh, I think that's half the problem, to be honest. But you know, it is it is what it is. So I think you know, let's move a bit deeper into some of these ETFs and something that I think you wanted to chat about today. And we are going to jump around a bit, but that's also what makes this podcast great is we cover a whole bunch of concepts. So I think one of the topics that you wanted to chat a little bit about is vanilla ETFs versus factor ETFs. So this is now getting quite a bit more uh, complicated, which I think is great and sophisticated because it helps us understand more about the markets. So can you take us through just some of the differences between a very vanilla style ETF and in finance, when people say vanilla, they just mean straightforward or simple through to these factor ETFs, which is, I suppose, the, the chocolate ice cream with the sprinkles and maybe the flake that you get down at the beach. Yeah. Um, uh, let's just start with the simple part. I mean, well, in ETFs, or should we say index tracking or rules based investing, the starting point is is the most transparent and most easiest way to understand how stocks in equity ETFs get their weights. And this is the vanilla ETFs that you just mentioned now. So here we simply give each stock in the index um, that the ETF is tracking a weight. And, and really the weight is calculated by simply taking each stock's market cap and divided by the sum of all the, the market caps in the index. So the bigger the stock's market cap, uh, the bigger its weight in the index um, relative to the other stocks that are that are in that index that the ETF is tracking. So in the vanilla space, most of the time, it's a matter of just picking a, a certain theme and then the, the stocks that fit that theme will make up the universe of that index and then weighted using their market cap. It's that simple. So the usual suspects would be the top 40 biggest companies, which you can track using the Cetrix Top 40 ETF, um, the South African property stocks, which is made up of JSE-listed stocks, um, which are classified as property stocks, or the MSCI World Index, which just takes large and mid-cap stocks from 23 developed countries, uh, which will give you global exposure uh, with about 1,500 stocks or so. And the list goes on. So that's, that's, that's the simpler part. And I think most important part about vanilla ETFs is that they will give you surety on the exposure. So if you want a country exposure or a certain sector, then vanilla is definitely the way to go. I mean, it's at a very, very low cost as well. Then, then things start to get quite interesting um, and sometimes complicated when you start moving away from that. And the creation of the index that an ETF is tracking is no longer just the market cap uh, used to actually create the weight. So some of these strategies outside the vanilla space can either be deemed price indifferent. In other words, the price of the stock or the size does not really matter. Or it can be a tilted approach. So here you get the original market cap weight and then it can either be increased or reduced based on like a relative score to other companies in that universe based on whether you, whatever the factor you, you'll be looking at. So this is where the factor ETFs come in. And in all factor funds, there is a certain characteristic that is checked per stock. And this allows the fund manager to actually compare all the stocks that he or she decided on on including in the in the universe and actually weight based on those scores. So, very simple one as a start would be our Cetrix equally weighted fund. So, so from the name, it's equally weighted. So this is simply just taking all the stocks that are in the top forty and then just reweight them by equally weighting them in the in that index. So the theme or or the characteristics of this would be the size. So because if you think about it, 
All the stocks that were huge in the top 40 are actually reduced now. Um, and the ones that were small in the top 40 are actually large in the in that uh, in that fund. Then moving on to the yeah, and the ice creams and the flavors being added now. So if you're looking at our Cetrix Momentum Fund, this is a fund which looks at stocks that have a, a good run in the last six and 12 months. What I mean by run, by looking at just the price uh, momentum of those stocks and also have like a good positive earnings revisions or earnings surprise. So the belief is that the price and the earnings momentum will carry on um, going forward. So the portfolio manager would have more weight in the stocks that have a lot of price and earnings uh, momentum. And the, the the fund manager will actually create this new index based on the fact that they want to be tilted more on the stocks which are showing positive momentum. So, of course, I mean, we could go on forever, especially in this field, because you, you, you also have things like value where you use company fundamentals like PE ratios, price to cash flow, and so on. You can look at quality factors, which look at indicators like ROEs and, and accruals. The field is quite open and even a, a multi-factor index can be created by trying to diversify the signal by combining those factors like our, our smart core um, unit trust, which combines quality, um, value and momentum. And if you're looking at papers, there's quite a lot of um, research behind factors supporting the fact that these consistent strategies can actually in the long run, beat the market. So this is more for people who are trying to get alpha or whatever the, the market return is, you, you're trying to get a, a bit of return on top of that. I can either be 1% over the, the, the all share or the cap tricks. Um, so these strategies are actually trying to make that. They are also very transparent. There's consistency in the way that they are created as well. Um, but Cetrix has these types of funds. They are all available in our Cetrix Now platform, whether in ETF or UT form. And I mean, the trick to understand all these different ETFs and what they do and what they're exposed to is to look at the fact sheet, right? I think that's the very, very important thing. You need to open up the fact sheet. You need to learn how to read that. You know, maybe at some point we actually need to do a more detailed show on these fact sheets. But, you know, they basically show you the constituents, the costs of the fund, what's in there, the various different exposures, how long it's been around, how big the fund actually is. You know, it's, it's very, very cool to go and read these things. It's a great way to learn about ETFs, actually, is to just open up a fact sheet and have a look. And, you know, the second page is often, or the third page, depending, is often a whole lot of T's and C's and very small writing, depending on what kind of fund you're looking at. Yes, you can read that stuff. But at the end of the day, the most important stuff is actually relatively easy to understand. You know, here is this fund. Here's what it invests in. Here are the biggest exposures. And away you go. Agreed. I mean, that's, that's, that's your first stop. When you're looking at especially if you're looking at new funds or you want to change investments or you're doing your research, the MDDs, the minimum disclosure documents, or other people call it fact sheets, they are your first stop before you call someone or send an email. That's where you learn what kind of exposure, what the fund is tracking, yeah, the costs as well, your top 10 biggest um, positions. So they, they, they're quite important to actually just start the learning there. And they're very consistent in terms of how the information is disclosed because there are regulations behind them. Every fund manager has to disclose these, this information. The design will be different. Some others will put the top 10 in another corner and all that, but it's the same information. So you can do your comparison very, very easily using these MDDs. So I, I think to your point, uh, it's quite important to actually just speak to that uh, maybe next time on, on MDDs or fact sheets 
I'm just explaining how people actually read these to understand funds. Yeah, we must do that at some point. But I think something else I want to touch on today and just conscious of time is the oldest debate in the book, which is local versus offshore, of course. The JSC this year hasn't been great, unfortunately. I can't say I'm shocked. I could kind of expect that coming into this year. The offshore stuff has done a lot better. 2024, it's an election year in South Africa, so the mood is going to be volatile, I think. Uh, what are your views on having a mix of exposure, local versus offshore, and then how does Satrix actually cater to this for investors? Yeah, no, good point on the elections next year. It's, got, it's definitely going to be interesting. If, if I remember correctly, in the past, the country elections, it's almost it's almost like a non-event in our capital markets. But the only effect you'd see mostly is our currency, but these mostly happen in elective conferences. Um but let's let's not talk about politics and, and ruling parties and whatnot. But I think that's a very important event to just um, look at next year. But I think to what you've mentioned now, whether local or offshore, there will be market volatility and and the, and having a mix. I think this speaks to a very very important point, or that we always mention in the investment world, which is which is diversification. And and, and South African investors have a very good number of ETFs that are available in their JSE. We still need more, but that's for us to, to figure out what the investors actually want. But whether whether they would like a simple vanilla index that we've just spoken about that gives you local or offshore exposure, it's up to them, but that the ETFs are there. And Satrix definitely has a product suite that provides this. So if you're looking at broad market exposure, uh, where in just one line you buy an ETF or a unit trust that gives you exposure to around uh, 99% of the JSC market. There's the Cetrix Aussie, there's the Cetrix Top 40, there's the Kept All Share ETF. And those are the ones you can consider in terms of broad market, um, South African market. But if you still want to stay local but look at other themes or asset classes, then you can look at uh, our property ETF. There are the factor ETFs that I just spoke uh, to. Yeah, so which actually try and, and, and beat the market over the long term. So we, we can look at the momentum ETF or the value or the quality, which which we actually just recently changed. Now, if you're moving to offshore, our vanilla Cetrix World ETF gives investors exposure to global equities and companies. Now moving on to, to offshore, our vanilla Cetrix World ETF uh, that's going to give you um, exposure to 1,500 stocks on the global front. And these are companies in developed markets. Uh, they're industry giants in, in their territories and even around the world. We also have the Cetrix S&P 500, which will give you U.S. exposure. NASDAQ 100, uh, which is more infotech. But it, it does it, it really doesn't end there. You, know, you can go to the emerging markets um, route and get exposure to our emerging market ETF or have a country exposure to to Cetrix India or China ETF. But I mean, I think it I think it's also very, very important to just try and understand the alternatives as well that we have in terms of ETFs in our suite, um, which really helps when you are um, someone who wants to mix, um, your your ETFs in the alternative space. There's there's the global infrastructure ETF. We also they have the smart smart city ETFs, uh, which form part of our new world order and making sure that investors do get an opportunity to get exposure to thematic indices. So I think also it's very important to consider all of these parts as a broad investment strategy. Sort of like not try to have all your eggs in one basket. 
And certainly in choppy markets, or in other words, volatile periods, there are parts in your portfolio where your capital is actually protected. And and, and talking about capital protection, I mean, we, we also do have ETFs in the money market space and, and fixed income, um, like our bond ETFs. So there's there's quite a mix um, that is available. Um, it all depends on the investment and on the investor where they want to be. Yeah, absolutely. That's the great thing with ETFs, right? It's it's anything you can imagine. What's that? It's one of the paint companies has that advert. Any color you can imagine. I can't remember if it's Dulux or Plascon, but it's a little bit like that, right? Uh, it's very much like that in the in the ETF world. And of course, local versus offshore is just one way. And then when you step outside of equities, you also get into bond ETFs. Now we did a show earlier this year specifically around fixed income or bond ETFs. Super super interesting, and they've been incredibly relevant with how interest rates have been so volatile. And yields have been all over the place in the past couple of years. And now it looks like we're getting into potentially another sort of phase in the yield cycle. And we'll see how that plays off, of course. But how have these bond ETFs performed this year versus some of their equity counterparts? Yeah, that that, that was back in July, right? I can't remember, but I just, I know it was cold. <laughs> so I think that's when we, we, were, we were speaking about... Yes, I think that's right. <laughs> yeah, we were talking about bonds. And I think at that time... Uh, bonds were, were down year to date and we saw some big moving, movements on the inflation numbers coming, lots of inflation cooling across the globe and, and, and that is, uh, also in South Africa as well. That is, that's, that's when we also saw uh, the Reserve Bank and, and other Reserve Banks outside South Africa just pausing a bit on increasing borrowing rates. So, I mean, at that time, back in July, um, if you're looking at historic numbers, three-year numbers, IOBs were just really trumping nominal bonds so they were doing quite well so any funds that had an inflation linked benchmark would have been doing really really well if they were overweight i will assume that they were overweight lps but um inflation linkers but if 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 you're looking at the year-to-day numbers ILBs were were pretty flat um at that point with inflation coming back a bit while the nominal bonds were, were actually up 5% and, and, and even outperforming property stocks, which have been really horrible, uh, to say the least, and down 2%. But the local equity markets were flying at that time. Um, I mean, the JSC top 40 was up was up 11%. Talk about a, a choppy year, because huh? in July, they were 11% up. Now it's come back quite a lot. So since then, we've, we've seen good recovery from nominal bonds. they up 9% for the year. ILBs have recovered from just being flat to about four. So nominal bonds have been doing better than ILBs. But on the local front, um, in terms of equities, it's been a it's been a wild ride since then, with the top forty around seven percent for for the year twenty twenty three. So it went from eleven to, to to seven since the the last time we spoke when we were talking about bonds. So all these indices are, are really easily tracked by by Satrix. We have nominal and ILB ETFs, and also the local equities, which um, we have spoken about, but so far this year, the local nominal bond uh, markets have been the strongest. But moving offshore, global bonds, on the other hand, have been very, very strong. We've got a Satrix Global Aggregate Bond ETF, which I think it holds like 9,000 constituents or so. Um, so it's done about 10% for the year, and a quarter of that actually belongs to the fact that the RAND weakened since the December um, last year. So it's been a mix, but yeah, bonds have been doing very well this this year. 
And of course, midway between bonds and equities, we find property funds, right? That's generally how investors see these REITs, these real estate investment trusts. And again, there are a whole bunch of different property ETFs. Always find it fascinating how the different ETF providers actually have very different exposures in their property ETFs. I know this because I looked very recently because I've positioned my tax-free savings account for next year a little bit more towards REITs. So obviously the benefit there is normally a REIT pays you a taxable dividend. That's the way a REIT works. But if it's into your tax-free savings account, then it's not taxable. So, you know, if the, if the REIT ETF is yielding 7 or 8%, that's it. It's 7 or 8% straight in. There's no tax. Plus then any capital gain that hopefully comes through. So, you know, real estate ETFs, I think people kind of know what those things are, but there's another type of property ETF that people don't necessarily talk about ever, and that is infrastructure ETFs. So I think part of understanding this ETF universe, you know, could you kind of walk us through how those work, what's inside there and why they are interesting? Yeah, sure. So so it's it, it's quite an exciting uh, product. We launched it back in, in, in September 2021. Um, and it, it forms part of our thematic universe of, of ETFs. So, so one fact that we, we can't run away from is that the global population is increasing. And with this, more infrastructure product, projects are, are, are implemented um, quite frequently. And these and they, they used to be funded by governments mostly, if you're looking at historical numbers. But the private sector has, has also just become one of the main sources for building um, infrastructure. So if you're looking at whether it's, it's oil and gas pipelines, transportation, roads, um, rail, um, a lot of them are also being rebuilt and modernized. So there are companies which are funding these um, and also that are making an income from all these structures and also all the rebuilds and, and, and infrastructure that's being built. So unlike in the REITs, where they mostly fund and get income from developing office parks, uh, shopping centers, hotels, apartments, homes, the companies that are considered for the Cetrix Global Infrastructure ETF, they go into the sectors that have I have mentioned in terms of infrastructure projects. So the ETF is a global ETF, which investors can access by trading it from the JSC and receive a rent-denominated return. It tracks the FTSE Global Core Infrastructure Index, which has companies that have been classified by FTSE Russell as infrastructure sector. So all these companies, what they do is they go into whether it's the transportation roads or rail and build these infrastructures. So as long as a company has a, from if you're looking at their revenues and 65% of that uh, is from infrastructure activities, they are considered to be part of the index that, that this ETF is tracking. So it, it is different in, in, in how it's constructed and um, and also, if you would compare it to um, a REITs or a property ETF as well. So, and also quite important for it is also just a, a global ETF as well. And if you're looking at the returns for this, um, it, it can be quite different from the rest of the market. Um, it's something that we really like and also considered into our balance of funds as, as one of the assets that are considered in the in the fund and it's been helping the fund actually ride the volatility that's that we've witnessed in the last two years or so. Um, it can be a, a different in terms of the return profile when comparing it to other capital markets. Um, so it, it's quite helpful in terms of 
of diversification. So it, it's quite exi- exciting, and it's it's part of, as I mentioned, it's part of our thematic universe of ETS. Yeah, absolutely. Diversification is not buying a whole lot of the same thing. It's buying things with different exposure. Otherwise, you're not actually diversified. So stuff like that fits firmly in there. I think a second last question, and this is something you also wanted to just cover today, is sort of ETS versus unit trust in terms of how these things are structured. If you can just give us an overview of, you know, why some are ETFs, why others are structured as as unit trusts, what are the differences here? Yeah, so, I mean, at the end of the day, ETFs and and, and unit trusts um, track a particular index, although UTs can be quite active uh, more than being index tracking. Uh, We've seen a a large wave of new ETFs which are being um, launched, which are also actively managed ETFs. Though the structurally they could be similar, so they they could be uh, tracking the same index. I mean, you find a, a top forty unit trust, you find a, a top forty ETF. There are some differences in them. For instance, for an ETF, they would an ETF would accumulate all its income. Um, so every time a stock inside the ETF is um, has a dividend, so that will all accumulate to. Um, one income and then that income is is not reinvested immediately. What it actually what actually happens is that the income is distributed at the end of the quarter, um, depe- depending on, on on what the structure is of the ETF. So some investors actually like to actually withdraw that income, but uh, some investors will want to reinvest it back into their into that ETF. While if you're looking at the unit trust. All the income is is actually invested immediately. Well, given that if in, uh, there's a dividend being declared inside the unit trust, it settles before uh, the T plus three settlement cycle of of if we're looking at equities, that dividend needs to settle before that. So or at the same time, so those are invested immediately. So the, all the income is invested immediately on the unit trust. Um, also, when you trade ETFs, for instance, if you are selling it. Uh, you get your settlement in T plus three, uh, while on a unit trust, if you sell your units, um, your settlement cycle is T plus one. So there's differences in the settlement cycle, what happens in the income, and and the and the way the the these two different products are, are traded. I mean, you get the unit trust priced um, only once a day, and um, while the ETF is actually on the stock exchange, so you can go in and out of the ETF whenever you want during the day, as long as the, the JSE is open. So sometimes we, we would launch a product and decide if the target is mostly for institutional clients that prefer UTs uh, mostly. So the product would be a, a unit trust. Um, and sometimes the product will be more appealing to the retail market where um, we've seen that the preference is mostly on the ETF side. So that that's why you'd have sometimes these um, Similar products, but in a unit trust or, or an ETF for, uh, on an ETF format. And final questions here of 2023. And of course, it's the tough one. If you could pick just one ETF for 2024 to have exposure to, which is exactly the way not to do it because the idea is to be diversified. But if you had to pick just one, where would you have your money going to next year and why? Yeah, so, I mean, uh, when, it, when it comes to ETFs, I... I I always look at them in terms of they will also give me exposure outside South Africa very easily and also cheap as well. And what I like about offshore ETFs is the fact that there's two layers. There's the return part wherever the 
the jurisdiction of of those stocks will be inside that ETF, and also just the fact that there's also the currency um, return in that. So, and I always treat my my investments to be for or long term. So it's it's much more riskier going offshore, especially if you're going offshore equity. So I, I see the MSCI World ETF as a very broad and well diversified ETF, which gives you the global exposure. 1,500 companies, and it's it's funny that it's also cheap um, in terms of trade. I mean, trading costs and also uh, and and the management costs of those. So that 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 ETF is more appealing to me. But at the same time, I I like having high exposure to infotech um, stocks. Though I'm just thinking that that uh, there might be a challenge with with them if the Fed start to cut rates. So I'm a little bit careful going into a lot of infotech exposure. But if you just, I'm just talking about broad exposure, uh, market exposure. I, I preferably I would like to be offshore, which would be the Citrix MSCI World ETF for me. Yeah, I think offshore the safer bet for me as well going into next year, with the exception of local property. And the reason being our local property funds very much have variable rate finance, most of them, quite different to the US property funds. And so if rates do come down, it will give our local property funds a bit of a helping hand. So we'll see how that uh, plays out. And again, specifically in my tax-free savings account, I'm collecting a tax-free, really strong distribution along the way. So you're kind of getting paid to wait. So we'll see. The other way to play it is bonds, for example. I mean, there really, there really is a lot to do with ETFs. And I think that's been, maybe that's the right way to end off 2023 is we've learned so much about ETFs from the team at Satrix this year. It's so much more than just putting 100 bucks a month away in a top 40 ETF. You can do that, and there's nothing wrong with that, but there's so much more to it. So I would encourage anyone listening to this, you've got some downtime in December, go back, you know, listen to some of the other shows. There's so much to learn from them. They are just as useful today as they were at the start of the year. And I think just see it to you and the team at Satrix. Thank you so much for all the great content partnership this year. Uh, hopefully we're doing it again next year and 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 for years to come. And I look forward to that. So have a well have a well deserved break, and to our listeners as well. Awesome, thanks, Ghost. And I hope uh, I know people will be driving um, long distances, so it's the chance for them to actually go back and listen to some of the old podcasts as well, which is great. But everyone drive safe, have a great time with family, and happy holidays. But thanks, Ghost, for for hosting me again. <laughs>